It's one covenant of grace, different administrations, one mediator throughout all generations. The same efficacy in every dispensation, crystal-centric motifs and recapitulation. What I'm saying is Christ was in the garden with Adam. He showed them penal substitution, clothed them, atoned for them, and drove them out from the garden temple. But Adam was a Christian with the full gospel info, like Enoch preached Christ coming with thousands tenfold. On every page of scriptures, Christ described in bold. You didn't know, my dude, you a slow learner. But draw near, God is here with the sojourner. That old hermeneutic you're using is useless. If it ain't crystal centric, it ain't Frank and Murrah and a slow burner. Greetings and welcome to uh, How Then Shall We Worship, a course within the Reforming Worship podcast. And on behalf of the Church of Philadelphia in Traverse City, Michigan, um, my name is Pastor Caleb. I'm the Minister of Word and Sacrament. I'm joined with me by Deacon Andrew. Hello. And it's like three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's getting kind of late. Yeah. Trying to get caught up on all the podcasting stuff that we have to do for the week. The busy week that's in front of both of us. Uh, oh goodness, yeah, it never stops. I've uh, discovered how much extra time I have if I just come to peace with the fact that I'm never going to sleep yeah. ever again. Um, that's a joke. Uh, all right, <laughs> welcome to lesson one. As far as uh, how then shall we worship? This is a course uh, for both congregants, uh, uh, new congregants, and leaders alike to understand what the Word of God says about worship. Listen, we all agree that the church is in a bad way. We would say that the church needs reformation. And the church has gone through some really dark times. But um, I think the darkest is upon us, genuinely. I think that, uh, especially in America, as we have gotten comfortable, um, we forgot what we're doing yeah, as sure. the church. Yeah. And um, we've lost... Uh, we've lost the gospel. I don't believe Americans are gospel hardened. I believe they're gospel ignorant. I think Brother Paul Washer is exactly right on that. Um, and furthermore, we forgot how to respond to the gospel, which is what worship is. Worship is all about responding when God speaks, when God acts for his people. Worship is our response. So everybody's going to agree that the church needs reformation, but... Um, the uh, the solutions are what exactly? I mean, mega churches are putting on more cookouts and you know all sorts of all sorts of pizza even parties and smoke machines. <laughs> What's that? Pizza parties and smoke machines. <laughs> pizza parties and smoke machines, right? And all to bring in new converts, but we don't need more of what we already have, right? That's part of the problem. <laughs> Right, A.W. Tozer said, "If if um, if revival is having more of what we have now, we most certainly don't need revival." Right? He yeah. was right on that point, and I'm going to be disagreeing with these brothers on a fair amount um, as far as ecclesiology and and basic how how does this work out? But um, those are really good observations. So. Um, what is worship? God, uh, worship is our response as the covenant people of God. That's what a Christian is, the covenant people of God, people purchased with Christ's own blood. That's Acts twenty twenty eight, right? What is the church? Those whom Christ has purchased with his own blood. Amen? Amen. So, um, so we agree that the church needs reformation, but first we need to realize that we become like what we worship. 
right? Psalm one fifteen says that the idols can't see, they can't, they can't hear, they can't speak, and those who worship be, worship them become like them. But the flip side of that is in Second Corinthians three. It says we who we we behold the glory of Christ, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the to another, from one degree of glory to the next, from glory to glory. And so the true gospel plus biblical worship equals reformation in the church. That's really what we need to say right off the bat. Get the gospel right, get worship right, and watch the church. Oh my goodness, what would nothing could ever be the same again if we started to worship God rightly. So, um first of all, we're not naturalistic materialists. Right. We we think that worship is the most powerful thing you can do. Right, and that needs to be said. I, I'm sorry, it's not on the outline, but if it, if you had a great big red button and a great big blue button right in front of you, Matrix inspired here, all right, and in the blue button, you if you hit the blue button, all Christians, everybody who claims Christ in any way, would all vote godly, right? Okay, but in the red button, everybody would gather together, worship God rightly, partake of the same Lord's Supper after an awesome gospel-centered message, and all afterwards sing in unison, the Son of God goes forth to war. Which one is going to change your environment, your culture, your nation? Which one is going to unite the church? And if we're hesitating at all as to which button (laughs) is more powerful than the other, don't get me wrong, the blue button would, would, would be pretty wild to see. It's probably cancelable to say that, but that's okay. Um, the red button, <laughs> right? We all worship God together, and we proclaim with one voice after hearing his gospel, after eating the bread and drinking the wine, that, that the Son of God goes forth to war. We worship God in um, who he has declared himself to be. That is what our world needs. That's what the church needs. That's what your family needs. Goodness. Okay, so how are God's people... To worship him. The Bible is abundantly clear on this, and we act like it's not clear on this subject. I used to think it wasn't clear on this subject, and I'll tell you why. I had a huge division in my mind between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The Old Testament was just back then what they used to do, and the New Testament. Now it's grace. Now it's grace, right? <laughs> of course, if you sing of God's loving kindness, his chesed, right? His covenant grace to his people. If you if you if you go looking for that in the word of God, you're going to find the vast majority of references in the Psalms. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> okay, Psalms and New Testament. <laughs> okay, Psalms and New Testament. <laughs> the Gideons were right. Okay. Um so uh, just real quickly, just by way of analogy, I have a pew Bible in front of me and um this opening page, the Holy Bible, the Holy Bible, large print edition containing Old and New Testament. Well, that's good. Table of contents, preface to the New King James Version. I, all of these things we understand that man put in there, not God, right? Right. And by the way, I'm talking to Christians right now. I'm talking to Christians who are tuning in because they want to know what the Bible says as to how God is supposed to be worshipped, Right. Um, if we're going to talk about apologetics in the world, I mean, that would be a completely different subject. But Christians fundamentally believe that the Bible is the word of God, right? 
that all Scripture is inspired by God, or God-breathed, theanoustas, right? And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. And we understand that the maps in the back or the one-year reading plan, all that's added by man, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. We all know that, right? Okay, so here's the other thing. The chapter and the verse divisions, they're also added by man, right? Uh, Robert Estian, or Stephanus, his Latin name, right? And we're grateful for that. We like to be able to tell the... Most of the time, we're grateful for that. Um, (laughs) We like to be able to tell the congregation where to find things in the Bible. That's good, right? But we do understand that those are are not written by God. That's written by man. All right, now I got a big question. A big question for everybody listening. Who put that page in between Malachi and Matthew that says the New Testament? Well, man did. Man did. As a matter of fact, the placement of the New Testament is really weird. Seeing that Christ was born under the law to deliver us from the bondage of the law. Right? And most Christians know that the law died with Christ. But you do, we do know as Christians that Jesus rose again. And the law rose with him. You think it would be better placed like after the Gospels, after the four Gospels? Well, if we're going to talk about a new administration, if yeah. we're going to talk about God doing something that he's never done before, wouldn't Acts 2 be a better place for this? Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's very strange. Right? We have this man made division in the Word of God. I'm just, all I'm saying is what every Christian should already believe, but most Christians aren't consistent with that all the Word of God is inspired by God. And it's not just moral stories and moral applications before Matthew. Yeah, right? And then after that, we get some real doctrine. No, all of it for doctrine, didache, teaching. Reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? For the perfecting of the believer. So let's just come out with it. Let's say it, man. If God was pleased by the worship in Leviticus 9, that's how he decreed to be worshiped, right? All right. So we should see that through the fulfillment of Christ. We are not de-emphasizing the fulfillment of Christ. We're saying that we need to stop thinking in terms of what ceased and what still goes. And we need to start thinking in terms of how does this look in the fulfillment of Christ? What does that look like? All right. So so the misconceptions of worship. Let's name a couple misconceptions. This should be fun. Um, it's, uh, It's all about your heart. God just wants you to express your heart. Uh, you know, um, we sing about that. All, you know, my dad would always say that. You know that that we we Christians don't preach lies; we sing them. There's a lot of truth to that. It, it, the idea is God doesn't care about all that external stuff; He only cares about the heart. Right? We'll tell that to Usa. <laughs> right? Right. The ark is wobbling on the cart, which is it's not supposed to be there. He doesn't want it to fall in the mud, right? Or the ground, at least. So he stretches out his hand to steady it. Good intentions. Yeah, well, let's say it in the modern evangelical slang. His heart was in the right place. Yeah. And the reality is that wasn't what pleased God. That's not what pleased God. 
right? Um, and uh, the, the the stories go on and on. Nadab and Abihu, name it. God takes it really seriously when you don't take him seriously as to what he says is honoring worship, what, what worship honors him. Listen, um, the word of God is is very clear. God is so high above us, right? His His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so so high and exalted is he above us. We can't know God unless God made himself known to us. This he's done in the gospel, through the word of God, through the, through the church obeying the Great Commission, right? But in the same way, if any of that is true, and it is, then we cannot reason in and of ourselves as to how to worship God. It's not up to us, right? We need to look at the word of God and ask, what is pleasing to God? What did God say was pleasing worship? All right. So we do want to mention a couple things. The Westminster Confession of Faith nails it in both chapter 1 and chapter 7. Chapter 1, section 1, and chapter 7, section 1. They both say the same thing, just a little bit differently. Um, God is so great, he couldn't possibly be known by fallen man, I'm paraphrasing, of course, um, except that he disclosed himself. We can't know God unless he shows himself to us. Chapter 1 says this he's done through the Holy Scriptures. Chapter 7 says this he's done by covenant. Right, And if that term covenant's a strange word to you, it really um, it, it just boils down to there, um, the sovereign is identified, the sovereign is identified, um, and a, uh, a covenant history is given, right? The greater always makes the covenant with the lesser, right? God came to us and made a covenant with us. We didn't choose him. We didn't pray a magic prayer. We didn't... We didn't vote in Jesus, right? God, the sovereign is identified. The greater makes a covenant with the lesser. There's a covenant history given. Have you ever noticed how uh, it's generally preserved in the wedding ceremony, in a Christian wedding ceremony, even though most people don't know why, why there's a brief history of how the couple got together, right? There are terms of the covenant, what the terms are of the covenant. There are blessings for obedience, number four, curses for disobedience, number five. And then there's um, there are generally two rituals involved after that. It's There's an initiation ritual, right? There's an initiation ritual, and then there's a, um, there's a ongoing sign of fellowship between the two parties. So God comes to us. We don't go to him. God has given us the history of his covenant people in the word of God. He's given us the terms of the covenant. Do this and live. Do this and die. There are blessings for obedience. Take a look at Deuteronomy 28 for both blessings of obedience and curses for disobedience. The initiation the initiation uh, ceremony, the initiation rite or ritual was circumcision, but Colossians 2 says that's fulfilled in baptism. Are you hearing the difference in what I'm saying from what you've probably heard before? Circumcision has not ceased. It's been fulfilled in baptism, 
we got to stop saying things like what <laughs> you know we used to not be able to eat ham sandwiches but that ceased that's not ceased that's fulfilled it's fulfilled when christ called all things clean all foods clean and he said here's the lesson all along it's not what goes into the body that defiles it but what comes out you've learned the lesson right your mother taught you a good work ethic by making you make your bed, right? Or, you know, <laughs> mine did, <laughs> you know, um, it, or, or, or different things like that. But the, but the lesson, the, the moral of what she was teaching you wasn't in making the bed or not making the bed. She was, she was, um, she was, she was showing you something. She was building character in you, building discipline in you. Paul says it far better than my terrible analogies. He says the law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. The law was our training wheels on the bike to lead us to Christ. So, cool, we're in Christ now. Do we do we get to just ditch the law? <laughs> By no means. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what's the next line? unto it yeah love, love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments yeah, the law and the prophets yeah rest all the law in the prophets so, no 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 you're good dude it's three in the morning um so if you agree with me that jesus's view of the law is correct and if you're a christian you should agree with me that jesus's view of the law is correct you've just gave me the whole old testament he said these two laws they're everything that the law and the prophets were based on. Yeah. So when Jesus was asked the most important law, he basically said, ooh, I'm going to have to give you the entire Bible at this time. <laughs> Genesis through Malachi, right? So don't have a different view of the Bible than Jesus did. I beg you. So what's a covenant? Number one, sovereigns identified. Number two, there's a covenant history given. Number three, there are terms of the covenant. Number four, blessings for obedience Number five, curses for disobedience. Number six, an initiation ritual, which used to be circumcision, is now baptism. And then seven, um, a, uh, a ritual of remembrance or a sign of well-being between the two covenant parties. And um, while that was the peace offering in the, uh, in the Old Testament, that is the uh, Lord's Supper in the New. So... Yeah, we, we need to be willing to rethink these things. So, having defined what a covenant is, what's the Bible? The Bible is our covenant documents. It's not a grab bag of inspirational quotes. It's not basic instructions for uh, before leaving Earth. Right? You remember that premillennial thing yeah. going on? Do you, you remember being premillennial, right? I do remember it's way back there. <laughs> it's way back there. Those are dark days. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I've got no beef with premillennials. Dispensational premillennials, there are some problems, but we can talk about all that. There are brothers. There are brothers. Um, but uh, um, it's not basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible is our covenant document, right? The 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 Bible is... Uh, like uh, like marriage vows between Christ and the church. I remember Andrew one time. Um, I was uh, I was part of a I was part of a teaching. Uh, actually, it was a it was kind of a youth group of sorts, a children's group of sorts that encouraged you to take your Bible and write, "Dear your first name," 
And then in the back right, love God. <laughs> the Bible wasn't written to the individual. It was written oh. to the church. And we we got to say this real quick. For those who think that there's a difference between Israel and the church, there are three basic views. Israel and the church are two different people. Um. The other view is, uh, oh, I should say within that view, a lot of people think the church is going to get raptured so God goes back to Israel, right? Um, we'll, we'll get into why that doesn't work biblically, but later on. Um, just hang in there with me. I mean, we're not heretics yet. Judge us by the word of God, all right? Um, but uh, the other view is that the church superseded Israel, right? It's sometimes called supersessionism, right? Or sometimes referred to as replacement theology. Um, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that they're still two different peoples. Yeah. Ephesians 2, everybody knows Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But I'm going to say, take a look at Ephesians 2, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 11 through the end of the chapter. The church has been brought into the commonwealth of Israel. God has taken down the middle wall of separation and made the two bodies one. That's all in the past tense because Christ is our peace. And what's the temple now? A building in Jerusalem? No. The temple now is all of us as stones being made into one temple, right? And, and so um, we we really want to highlight that we're going to refer to God's covenant people in both Old and New Testament as the church or true Israel or, uh, you know, Zion, Right, Hebrews uh, Hebrews twelve verse eighteen all the way through twenty six is very clear that the New Jerusalem is a reality in the church. That Zion is the church. Anyway, you look like you're about to say something. I love it. Okay, <laughs> praise God. Well, I think we're messing up some hair here. Or well, I hope we are. I hope. I hope that this is reaching people who haven't heard this stuff before. So, what's the difference between the old and new covenant? Is the gospel different? No. <laughs> no. Where would you go to show the gospel is the same? It's three uh, in the morning. Yeah. Leviticus. You're, yeah, Leviticus is a good one. Well, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says that the Jews, oh, when they yeah, were wandering yeah. in the wilderness, it says it right the there. The gospel preached to them. This, and it even says. Same gospel. Yeah, it even says the same gospel that we had preached to us. Yeah. And like the the things people will do to get around that, it's amazing. It's like, yes, but what was the gospel back then? It's like, you're a Christian. You believe there's only one gospel. Yeah. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. Like, how many gospels are we talking about? <laughs> Galatians 3 says that God preached the gospel to Abraham. Mm. Jude, I can never remember if it's verse 14 or verse 16. Tell you what, read verses 12 through 16 and you'll hit it for sure. All right. Jude Jude talks about Enoch, the seventh from Adam, preaching the second coming of Christ. Yep. He was familiar enough for the first coming that he was he was preaching the second coming. And most people miss this. David was a Trinitarian. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. His, his Lord has a Lord. And then he yeah. says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Adam was a Trinitarian. He sure was. He walked with God in the cool of the day. Absolutely. Christ is the expressed image of the invisible God. So who did he see? Amen. Who did he with in the cool of the day? You know, I think who that if, his God? if people really hear us out, and especially if they listen to the sermon in the deep dive, yeah. I think 
your intro song will actually make sense to them. I hope so. <laughs> All right. So it, it's not in the gospel. What about sacrifices? Right? Well, Christ is the once and for all sacrifice. This is why it would be blasphemy to 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 sacrifice a lamb again. That's true. But aren't we to be living sacrifices? Doesn't Romans 12 say that? Um, uh, it also talks about how the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword in Hebrews 4, dividing joint and marrow. That's not a sword for war. That's what the priest had to divide the sacrifice. Right. Who's the sacrifice? I am. You worshiper. are. Yeah. Yes. You know, no, you said it so much better than I did. The worshiper is the sacrifice. And um, just everybody listening out there, listen, if the word of God isn't preached at your church in a way that comes and lays you asunder, divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit, if you're not undone by the preaching of the word of God, get some place that has a pastor that knows how to handle that sword, right? It, the, the, in high, Christ is the high priest over this sacrifice. Um, it, it's very clear that we we come to God because there's one who always intercedes for us in Hebrews 7.25. So it's not in the sacrificial system at all. Matter of fact, in that context, Hebrews 12 talks about our God being the consuming fire. Christ is the high priest over his own sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God once slain for all uh, for all time. We are living sacrifices. We are undone by the word of God, placed on that altar. God the Father is a consuming fire, and we're not being punished by that fire. We're being transformed. We're ascending to God. But anyway, if I lost you, we're going to talk all about... sacrifice would ascend in the smoke in Leviticus. Amen. Yeah, and if we're... sweet-smelling aroma pleasing to the Lord. Right, right, right. And if we're losing you on on, uh, talking about ascension offerings, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. So, how often have you heard this? Well, yeah, in the Old Testament, biblical was really uh, biblical worship was really rigid and liturgical. But now we we've, we've got grace. Mm. <laughs> um, did they not have grace? Someone should have told David. He says in Psalm thirty-two, "Blessed is the man whose sins are are, are pardoned." Yeah, right. And the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will not change. Uh, yes, you know so. Where has he changed <laughs> right. and how he is to be approached? <laughs> right? You'll even hear people say that Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah thirty one thirty one says that there will be a new covenant where everybody will know God. And so that's what's different about this covenant. And I, I just want to ask, did Moses have the law of God written on his heart? Did David? Was anybody ever united to Christ without that heart change, without that? So... You know, we could say it in the most offensive way possible. We could say it that that Moses was in the new covenant. Yeah, <laughs> that's clearer for me. <laughs> yeah, Amen. If we lost you, hang in there. We'll we'll get back to it. I, I want to make you guys aware of some deceptions out there. Okay, we're we're saying we need to go back to the Word of God and worship consistently with the Old and New Testament. And I'm also saying let's pay attention to church history too because there are people who who have gone before us who have done it better than we are right now. We're in a time of tremendous backsliding for the body of Christ, right? Um, So I want to make you aware of some deceptions, okay? One of the deceptions is in the Roman Catholic claim 
oh, we're the historical church of 2,000 years. Yeah, I'm interested in worshiping with the church of at least the last 6,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. They're committing the same error. And, you know, I've jokingly referred to it as the... (laughs) You're never going to find a Roman Catholic church having this class explaining everything as to why we worship the way that we do. Right? They have the... I've jokingly referred to it as the trust me liturgy. Right? Everything has its own symbol. Just go with it. Mm. (laughs) Right? Uh, Some of it's really horrible. Now, the Eastern... That doesn't work with anything else, like, in life. No, no, (laughs) no. Just trust me. (laughs) I'm the teller at the bank. I know. Just trust me. (laughs) So the Eastern Orthodox, they claim to have the true liturgy, and they'll even go as far to say that everything that they believe is contained within the liturgy. Some of them go this far. There's been this weird onslaught of uh, Eastern Orthodox apologists, and um, they don't seem to agree with each other on much of anything but the eastern orthodox will claim to have the true liturgy and that's where truth is to be found what we want is we want a perfect harmony between doctrine and liturgy we want liturgy to embody all of our doctrine but we want separate doctrinal standards we want to be able to look at justification forensically in romans Uh, we want to we want to put um, more emphasis on the word because jesus does the reason that we have a liturgy is because the word of God demands it. And I hope to show you that in, in future lessons. Okay. Um, our uh, Reformed Baptist brothers, they got the gospel down pat. I don't think they're worshiping consistently with it. And um, again, that's talks cheap. I'll need to prove that. Um, but that's coming. Um, evangelicalism is just trying to evangelize. They're going to get out of this rut that the church is in by evangelizing. Um, that's the problem with that is, is that we're trying to, we're trying to fix our current problem with more of what we already have, right? If you have a bad situation, you don't pile more on. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's, it's kind of interesting. You ask an evangelical, is the church in a bad way? Yeah. What should we do? Grow the church. (laughs) Right. That man, this bonfire is getting out of control. Throw more wood on it. Um, Get the gasoline. You're right. Uh, now, and here's the one I want you to be really careful of. When I'm talking about the division between Old and New Testament is largely arbitrary, except for the fulfillment of Christ. I'm not minimizing Christ's work at all. I'm saying Christ said that he did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And that's all I'm saying. Stop doing away with the law and the prophets. See them fulfilled. Worship the way Leviticus tells you to, but in the fulfillment of Christ. Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not de-emphasizing Christ's work. I'm emphasizing Christ's work by emphasizing it the way He did. Yeah, I shouldn't have to say that, but unfortunately, there's there are groups called Hebrew roots groups, or I would call them cults. One nineteen ministries would would fall into that category. I have a standing invitation to debate them. They don't want to. I don't blame them. Um, the Hebrew people coming out of there like anti-trinitarian. At least a lot of the ones that I've talked to. When I when I gave them the invitation to debate, they had not yet denied the Trinity. They just said that they they literally said they had researchers working on it. It was so pathetic. Do you wow. believe in the Trinity? We got a team of specialists on it. <laughs> it's like then I still have the much or what? yeah. I still have the screenshot of that communication. It made me laugh out loud. Um, so the Hebrew roots cults will come around and go, you're right. 
everything's fulfilled and nothing ceased. And then they smack the ham sandwich out of your hand. No, Jesus declared all foods clean. See, it, it seems like you fall into one ditch on either side of the road. Either most of the Bible doesn't apply anymore. Or if it does apply, it's just some in some abstract moral way. Or all of it applies, and it's this wooden, nothing's been fulfilled. Right? Okay, no. No, everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. Absolutely everything. Right? How are we going to approach God? How is the Christian to worship God? So it's really simple. There are three sacrifices in the Bible. There are more, but they all fall in these three categories, Okay. There's the sacrifice for sin. There's the, it's translated whole burn offerings. It's not a good translation. There's the ascension offering. And then there's the peace offering. Okay. The sin offering was an offering for, you guessed it, sin, right? And what happened was something innocent died in your place, symbolizing your guilt before God, but not only symbolizing, actually communicating the grace of the ones for all sacrifice in your obedience. It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that took away sin. Not ever. Hebrews 10 tells us that. But in obedience to how God said to sacrifice animals, the grace was really and indeed present for the worshiper. That's number one. Number two, the ascension offering. The ascension offering has nothing to do with sin. The animal rises to God in the smoke as a sweet-smelling aroma. Now that sin's been dealt with, you and God are having fellowship. But God isn't a black hole like the pagan deities that just want to be appeased, appeased, appeased. No, he feeds the worshiper. He gives them a sign and a seal that their, that their sacrifice, that their worship has been accepted before him. And that's in the peace offering. That's when the worshiper eats of the sacrifice. Is there a lot more to say about this? Yeah, there's a lot more to say about this and a lot more intricacy. But um, but whenever these three sacrifices show up in the Word of God, First uh, Chronicles 16 or Leviticus 9, they're always in that order. Sin, ascension, peace. Deal with sin first. You can have sweet fellowship with God, and God feeds you at his table as a sign of wellness of relationship. It was never our idea to worship God, so it starts with a call. And it ends with a blessing. When you leave God's presence, you're not being driven out of the garden. You are being sent out with blessing. So let's talk about those five C's. And here's the uh, here's the here's the here's the ticket to to understanding everything we said so far. Five C's: the call to worship, the confession of sins, the consecration or ascension, communion. In this administration of the covenant of grace, that's the Lord's Supper, and the commission. That's where God blesses you. That's where God blesses you. And may God bless you as you come to grapple with these truths. All right. If this 35-minute explanation isn't nearly satisfactory for you, you want to stop hearing me summarize scripture, you want to hear me read it and exegete it, we're going to be linking. Um, this is going to be this is going to be lesson one, deep dive. This is going to be a sermon I preached at a different church all about this subject. It's over an hour, but if you want all that we can, all you can get out of this course, I think that will be beneficial to you. I'll, I'll link my sermon notes, exactly what I was preaching from, in the description. For those of you who want a whole lot more detail, stay tuned for the deep dive. See you there.